HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. And uh, excuse me while I clink a glass with Andrew Scrivani, who was actually the first guest on my show five years ago. So thank you for you know, coming on again. And like you just said to me, it, we've been so busy that this is one of those only opportunities to catch up. So uh, what's happened in the last five years? Oh, you know, a few things. Yeah. But it's a pleasure to be back. I yeah. mean, it was uh, it was fun then, and it was uh, it was just a um, it was an idea kind of germinating at that point. Yeah, and you had just gotten it started, and to see all the success you've had with it over the years, and the fact that we've become friends uh, since then, and friends who don't get to drink uh, together enough. Yeah, but, so uh, cheers to that. But um. Yeah, I mean your success as well. I mean it's been a it's been an interesting, fun five years, and I'm happy to be back. You know, it was very funny. I, I re-listened to that episode as everyone should, and see how uh, the food scene has progressed. Um, but on top of that, there, there's something that still kind of like sticks out. There was a Diner Journal's article in the New York Times about food bloggers taking their own photos and the the influence of social media, almost specifically Instagram. Um, we're five years later. Obviously, that's been more than a phenomenon. That has exploded. Absolutely. That has become such a large part of our industry as, as photographers, as food photographers. Um, how big a part has it been in your life? Well, I'll work backwards. I mean, next this month? No, it's not June yet. Next month, B&H Photo has asked me to come and speak specifically to how you can use social media and Instagram in particular to progress your your photography career to to get better at photography to network better so it's it's become a, a primary focus for a lot of us and now 
we need to, as photographers who have been using it as a promotional tool and as an, uh, a method of exploring different f- photographic and visual ideas, to share that part of it with younger photographers and, and learning photographers, I, I find it inv- an invaluable tool on so many levels, particularly creatively. And yeah. I just think it gives you so much freedom to revisit some of the things we did. Like I posted a photo today that was from... 2006, you know, and it, it's still relevant and it's still interesting, but it was pre-social media, so why not? Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I, I've been coming through the archives too, and it's it's been interesting to see how imagery has progressed as well, because we're, we're at this pretty cool nexus as well. You and I were chatting just before about, we're not just still photographers anymore, we, we are, you know, creatives in motion. So we're thinking about video, we're thinking about, you know, not just five to ten second clips, we're thinking about, you know, the, these longer pieces that are the same narratives we did with photos. Absolutely. I mean, I started to get fascinated with it. Um, many years ago when I was on set watching a commercial being filmed and shooting stills on a side table for the same ad campaign. And it became apparent to me that the skill set that we have as food photographers and our familiarity with food is unique and that it's valuable to, um, once we can kind of translate that to the people who want to hire us and show them that we're not just still photographers. We envision food in a lot of ways and the narratives we tell with multiple images in magazines or slideshows um, show that we can show a, a, a progressive narrative with, with food imagery and now we make them in motion and we can take on a whole nother, a whole nother visual form and it's really exciting yeah you know like the preconception of a sizzle reel or something that you show as a, as a creative you know has implied motion because there's so much that you want to put in that, you know, two minutes that you have in front of some ad executive. But in that sizzle reel, I was thinking about what you did for the New York Times and what you still do for the New York Times. You've been shooting for Martha Rose Shulman for how many years? Seven, eight, nine? Eight. Yeah. Every Friday. Every day. Every day. Five days a week for seven solid years. And now we're doing it once a week. We didn't let go of Recipes for Health. We just kind of downscaled it a little bit. But we shot a new image five days a week, year-round, for seven years. So how many is that? To, I'm not going to do the quick It's math. like over 3,000 images Yeah, or something to that effect. Do you ever just watch shows in progression? Oh, gosh, no, because the ones in the beginning are so not as good as the <laughs> ones at the end. <laughs> it hurts to see that kind of work sometimes because you even said on the last show you're only as good as your last photo as your last image and i know working on cookbooks or some other projects there's such a um you know discrepancy in when you've finished and when it comes out yeah absolutely i've had that i had that conversation with um with my rep just recently who wanted me to send my favorite cookbook to a client and i was a little bit like why don't they just look at my uh, at my reel why don't they just look at my website because sometimes the way yeah that last you that book is being published maybe a year after you've taken those pictures and maybe you're not as confident in this as, as when you let them go out of the camera. But, um, yeah, I look at the old stuff and I say, uh, yeah, I've grown up a lot as an artist. But I also think the medium has grown up with us. You know, I think there are so many talented people there now. Even just the things they're doing on Instagram, 
it shows this kind of visual acuity. People are really sophisticated in how they're looking to make images, particularly about food, but about everything. Um, and then it's just about giving them the tools and the knowledge and, and the fact that if they're hungry enough to go out and be able to learn how to do it every day in every circumstance with any camera. And then then they become us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know it's the, the problem solving is what they don't initially teach you in sure. any kind of creative field. And that's how you kind of find your style. You, you know, you vet out what you like and what you don't. But how, how did you find your style? What did you eliminate? I think I eliminated the complication of trying to be um, everything at once. When I, when I let go of wanting to style my own food, when I let go of propping out every job on my own, and I was really able to focus on the photography, it made a big difference for me. And when did that happen? Because if you listened five years ago, you were still like, 95%, I do it all. Yep. It happened right around that time. It, right around the time when I started hiring stylists to come in and work with me. And, I, and because I had the frequency of the work with Recipes for Health, I had a budget. And being able to give people the opportunity to work every week means you can afford it. And, you know, it's not like hiring a stylist for $1,200 a day. You know, if you can promise somebody work year-round, they'll work for less money and be part of the team. And building that team was a big part of increasing the, the quality of the images I was able to make. Because I, was only, I only had to think about one thing then, make a, make a good picture. I didn't have to think about plating that food, making sure that part was perfect. I can see that after the fact and make adjustments, but I didn't have to start from scratch, and that made a huge difference. But you know all that stuff. You, you know how inherently and, and technically how to cook, how to style, mm-hmm. how to prop, and I mean, you can't bypass that to get where you are. No. I think it helped enormously to know those things, but it also helped as much to let go of it. But I think it's, in, it's inherent in what we do to understand food. I mean, you're a chef. I'm a cook. We've been at this for a long time. And you get the idea that the people who are blogging now and the people... And I've seen it. I mean, people who have come to my workshops or people who I learned about when they were younger who came to me for advice are now working professionals. And they're in that same continuum, right? They're, they were just cooking at home and making stuff. Or, or people who came out of the restaurant field who wanted to learn this more. Uh, then all of a sudden, they, they're starting to think like visual people. And now they're turning it into a career. And it's fascinating, right? It's fascinating to watch from the outside. We did it from the inside. Yeah. But now to watch people do it. I mean, I, I have a, a student who came to one of my creative live courses about two years ago, two and a half years ago, who was a complete novice. She had never picked up a camera. Now she's a working professional. I mean, the whole she came the whole distance. She built a studio in her house. She, she took as many courses as humanly possible. She's consulted other photographers and she posted something on Facebook just yesterday or this morning about these like seven things that she didn't realize about dealing with clients <laughs> right so she, now she's learning that into the business right she's got the visuals down now she's learning how to communicate those needs and those kind of problem solving skills that you talked about uh, on a different level so yeah I mean it's it's We've all gone through it, and now we're watching other people go through it. Well, I, I know when you teach, um, you know, there, there's a certain curriculum, and towards the end, it's about the the foods and you know situations um, that are hard to photograph from mm-hmm. you know uh, terribly 
blanched dark greens to really, you know, browned. You remember my slideshow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Believe me, you, this is ingrained in me. I, I, I not only consider you a, um, a wonderful photographer, but a mentor in how I've thought about the business, too. Um, which kind of leads me to ask, you know, you, you talked about this, uh, this other person that took courses with you um, and is now in, in the same field. How, how do you parse competition and community? Uh, I, I think that's a great question because y- you and I have existed in this business at the same time for many years at this point, and we've remained friends. And I've remained friends with many food photographers, and we actually have a little group of them that hang out together. I think our visions are unique as artists, and I don't know that there, we intersect all that much when you get down to the core of who you are as a photographer and who I am as a photographer. I think we're, we're fundamentally different but equally successful in, in that people see the vision differently. When they look for you and they look for the things that you want to do, what they want to do with you, they kind of know what they're getting because your style is defined and your, your work is clear. And I think that's the same with me. And I think that's the same with all the other people who are taking courses and learning and becoming working professionals. And then there's the other thing, moving on to the next challenge, right? Now I'm, I'm moving into, into directing and I'm moving into motion because I feel like that's the next plateau for us because we have this skill set that we need to translate now to something new, make some room for other people and move up, you know, and move up and move on. Not to say we're going to abandon still photography, but we got to use the skills we have to continue to grow. Well, let's talk about that New York Times Lens blog, which I'm sure many people have seen now. Uh, I mean, I'd go as far to say it was kind of a viral hit. Uh, that thing went across the world and came back, and now you're in a position to be able, like you said, to take that next step in your business. Um, what were you afraid of, you know, exposing on that blog, uh, on that video, um, and what exciting opportunities have come out of it? Well, I don't know that I've ever been afraid to share, and maybe that's a flaw. And some people have challenged me on that yeah, and said, I don't consider it a flaw at all. Right. But some people have challenged me on it and said, you know, maybe you're giving away too much of the state secrets. And I never felt that way because I do this little thing in, in response to that question at some of the hands-on workshops. And I say, okay, here's my camera. I hand it to a student. Same setup, same lighting, same camera settings, same everything. Take a picture. Okay. They take a picture. Then I take a picture. They're remarkably different. It's your eye. It's your vision. It's the way you approach a subject. It's not about camera settings, and it's not about your lighting. I think ultimately, the thing I get self-conscious about sometimes with my setup is my studio, is this kind of little apartment in East Village that I've kind of has beautiful southwestern light, but it's, you know... It's not a traditional photo studio, and sometimes when people come in, I'm a little bit like, mm, maybe they're going to think, oh, the big New York Times guy, and he's got this little, you know, little hut that he shoots <laughs> in. <laughs> but ultimately, people come in and they're wowed by it. They're like, wow, you do all that here? And then it, then I breathe a little, and it's sort of like I'm not being judged by, you know, my setup or my gear or yeah. whatever. Then, truly being judged by my work. Well, I'm going to make a Star Wars reference um, by saying, you know, I think people thought of Yoda in the same light. Um, (laughs) Sure, right? But what's so non-traditional about your studio? 
Well, I mean, you've seen you've seen big studios on the west side, you know, big high ceilings and big white walls and giant windows with the sheer curtains in it, and you know, a camera gear and in, in tucked away in the corners, and everything is clean and and um, you know, really kind of modern, and you know, it's got that feel, that arty feel. My place looks like a kitchen with stuff piled to the ceiling on all walls filled with props and then these two beautiful you know windows that I put sawhorses next to and pop tabletops up on top of I mean it's it's a little it's a little different but it serves my purpose perfectly and any photographer who's come in there has always been like oh now I get it I see the light here yeah you know and that's what it becomes about it becomes about that that light that I may have been able to manage and that southwest the, light at that oh it's beautiful yeah. it's such beautiful light I always thought that south by southwest you know the big event that happens in Austin sure, was actually a photo conference really yeah initially I'm like oh yeah it's got to be a photo conference oh because of the yeah, light yeah because right, of the, the light, light directional light but that's thought of as a, as a food photographer if you were a portrait photographer it would have to be north by northwest yeah <laughs> <laughs> we, we should start a southwest photo conference just for food and on the other catty corner block all the portrait guys could yeah stand, right we yeah. just have opposite <laughs> opposite facing the portrait guys on this side and the food guys on this side yeah and well, girls let's not forget the girls um, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about that light that you've harnessed and made your own you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org we'll be right back to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here again with Andrew Scrivani, a master of light. <laughs> and that light itself, when did you first find that light? When did you see that glimmer and say, I want to capture this? Well, what's funny is that that was, you know, I was living there and we started to photograph food. You know, I was still working as a teacher. It was still kind of a, a germinating career at that point. And we had this little brown box that we would push closer to the window. We weren't at the point where we were up like in the windowsill yet. And I would put things on this brown box. It was like a Balinese box that had a really beautiful brown tabletop to it. And I would put food up on there and I would notice the light hitting the food in a very particular way. And I would move my body around it and I would look at it and see the glimmer in the shimmer of the food. Um, 
and it just kind of all of a sudden it occurred to me I was like okay I need to build everything around this window this gold, this kind of the, the goose that laid the golden egg kind of window it's like it just never stopped giving wintertime's a little different than summertime <laughs> sometimes you have to filter it differently but I have now built things specifically to the size of that window like different filters that just throw up into the windowsill it's uh, it's a completely DIY set up, set up and um and then the challenge after that was, okay, now what? When I don't have the window, what happens if I can't be here anymore? I need to learn how to recreate this light on my own. So I'm con- I was constantly challenging myself to try to do that with strobes or hot lights or any kind of light to try to figure out how to recreate that for the inevitable situation when I don't have that window anymore. And, um, and that's what led to motion, right? Because it, it, you can't capture motion in, in that small space consistently. So I had to, it was twofold, the combination of learning how to do it with strobes, but also learning how to do it with hot lights so I can recreate it in any circumstance. And so far, we've gotten pretty close 90% of the time. There are times when it's just that tiny bit is just so spectacular. There's no way you're going to capture yeah. it with artificial light. But there are times when you can't tell the difference. And that was the challenge. And that's what being a photographer is, right? It was, learning how to harness that light and do it do it any which way and your newest challenge video which is you know when i first started shooting video which wasn't long ago um i forgot that i could move (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know i thought it was i thought i had to be as still as the images that i used to you know capture but that you can have as much motion as whatever's in your frame Mm -hmm. sure I mean, that was my challenge as well, is that I was first <clears throat> trying to do two static cameras uh, from two different angles and let the food do the moving. And then I got more comfortable and, you know, with handheld rigs and, and, and jibs and dollies and, and, uh, and gimbals and having the... And then all of a sudden you become addicted to that, right? Now you want these kind of camera moves. And, I, I you know, I'm storyboarding a particular um, spot I'm working on now where I want to simulate... A, uh, a bug flying towards some food, you know, like, and, and now I got all these ideas about camera movement. So it's, it's become from, yes, that fear of, oh, I can actually move the camera to now I'm thinking all kinds of different things and using GoPros and, and all kinds of different uh, camera techniques and, and, and consulting DPs and wanting to do all these things. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Did you, did you think about perspective as much as a still photographer or as you do motion? It seems like there's a whole new world that's been opened up to you. Yeah, it's very different. I mean, I think once uh, that door got opened, and especially now that I'm with the artist company and I have all these creative people around me working to push me in that direction, and I have all this input that's very different than the input when like two still photographers sit there and talk. Now I'm talking to people who have directed multiple commercials and executive producers who have worked on different spots and I get a very different perspective on how to approach food and it really is amazingly like it's like this these doors have opened up and there's all this creative stuff on the other side of it that I hadn't even thought of before well let's take this spot that you did for Nam a Thai eatery over in the East Village um it's it's great. It's it's not long. It's what? Uh, it's thirty seconds. Thirty seconds, but it seems like a lifetime. It, it's it's a lot of camera <laughs> yeah. work in thirty seconds. Yeah, because you, I know you're up on a ladder at some. You you have perspective where it's underneath the food. Um, 
and others. And as a documentary, you know, photographer at heart, that's all stuff I'd capture fluidly throughout the day, sure. you know, and that's my, um, that's my, it's, it's chronological. Yep. Where you have to think about continuity and you have to shoot bits and pieces all over the place and then repatch it together. It's like conflating yep. a whole day into 30 seconds. It's interesting because you, you, you have to really fall back on your shot list and your storyboarding. And you have to say, okay, we're going to get this shot. And you have to think of them, compartmentalize each shot. And the language is different than we speak in still photography. You know, when when we're talking and planning it out and they're like, okay, well, you got that shot, but now you need the reverse. I had to literally go and look <laughs> that up. Yeah. You know, at first I didn't really know what people were talking about. And it was a little unnerving, you know, is that you're being pushed out as the guy who's in, in charge, but I have to learn a whole new language now. Mm-hmm. I know it instinctually, which is interesting, but now I have to put words to it. I'm the same way with V-flexes and uh, skims. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's like, what is, oh, you mean, uh, you know, the thing I used to do my science research projects on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. the trifolds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get some foam core. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, poster board. Yeah, yeah. Remember those? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, learning a whole new language to go with the visual... Um, presentation that we've been doing for years and we call it a narrative and we shoot it chronologically we shoot it in a continuum and now to think about that and break it apart and then we go and then you start to think about how movies are made and then you can't watch movies the same way anymore (laughs) i was i mean i'm watching uh i'm going and watching all the mad men now because i never watched it and i'm looking at all these especially the final shots right the final shots of every one of those episodes is just brilliant beautifully lit beautifully composed i mean and you start to think about it in terms of how that's being directed and how these things are taken out uh, out of sequence and then reimagined and it again opens up all different you know thoughts about how to creatively approach food stories and how to put them back together the way you want them yes You know, thinking about Mad Men and, you know, it's so important to have those outside influences, you know, and not just be a food photographer. And I am air quoting food because you are a photographer first. Sure. Food happens to be a subject of yours. Um, Like albums, album covers. Right. That that says says it all. That tells you, you know, what songs are in there, what what the music. It sets the tone in a way. It's also Instagram before Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Square format. True. Right? Yeah. Beautiful artwork in square format. Yeah. And then translated to the back of a denim jacket in a V. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I talk about influence a lot. I mean, I'm influenced a lot by architecture, by film, by painting. I mean, I think as an artist, you have to think in terms of visuals, shape, form, color, you know, art 101. And then think about what your subject is and then have a good understanding of your subject. I mean, I think food for us in particular because we have a a pretty good understanding about food as a subject and then be able to put our photography skill to it makes the photography that much better but I also think that understanding art and seeing visuals everywhere you go I mean I think you talk to any photographer regardless of subject matter and all they do is take pictures with their eyes all day and then of course now we have the ability through social media to capture it I, and I was taking pictures in the subway on the way here, you know, and I, and I was capturing things and using that panoramic tool and all these different tools at our disposal to make creative, you know, visuals. And it isn't just always about food for us. It's got to be about everything because I think that all influences what goes in when you, you know, look through the eyepiece and, and try to make something interesting. Part of 
my background again in in the more reportage style was about finding those stories and you're so good at making those stories happen you know getting a script and putting all that context into a lush beautiful photograph but you you also get around mm. i remember the last time you were telling me um sri lankan food mm. in, uh, in staten, staten island. island sure where else have you traveled to what other places have you eaten that have changed the tone of how you you know approach food well i think it, it helps to travel because when you when you put into context a style of food which is very you know uh, common with the New York Times stuff where we're, we're traveling all over the world with different cuisines and trying to see, like when I was in Mallorca a couple summers ago and seeing what how the food was presented on the table, you know, and how the, the culture and the influence of not just the food itself but the presentation of the food and the, the style of the, the cookware and the style of the the flatware and all these things and then <clears throat> when we're collecting props and thinking about propping out a job it's important to do that so for example with eating well magazine i i've been working with them consistently for the last three years i guess and we have to marry travel stories to uh, tabletop i don't get to go on the i don't get to go to the caribbean and shoot those i get the recipes and then i have to recreate what that caribbean adventure looked like on my table so they send me a pinterest board of all of the stills from the travel part of the piece plus you know uh inspiration color palettes blah 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 and then i have to marry it to those pictures so those experiences in traveling eating in different restaurants eating in different countries different parts of the country really help because i had to do a cajun piece and i had a little bit of experience at a very traditional cajun kind of cookout a cochon doule and it was very shabby chic everything was mixed matched everything had like a little bit of french flair but a lot of kind of country backwoods feel to it and uh when i brought that to that assignment those experiences and that visual it rung really true and i got good feedback on it you know from, and people from uh louisiana are really really particular <laughs> about those things and the fact that we got it right meant we did a good job telling that story and that's important because it had nothing to do with the food it had to do with the plate and the fork and the and the napkin and the the setting and all of it you know kind of captured the feel of the experience of eating there as opposed to just the food. You're like a restaurant minutia designer. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, because you, you walk into a place that's so transportive, and it's about the interior design, about, you know, uh, what the waitstaff is wearing, about the ebb and flow of, of you know, the hustle and bustle of that, sure. that place. But you have to do that all within a restricted frame. Sure. That's a, but that's about doing a lot of it, too. You know, the more you do, the volume of doing it, and then you try to absorb that and, and try to think a little bit outside the box about telling a story with one picture. It's a challenge, right? And, and that's the bigger challenge. And moving to, to directing, you know, commercials or moving into that kind of idea where you have a whole lot more at your disposal um, to tell that story, but coming from the tradition of only having one frame and maybe a two-by-four tabletop to work on and tell a whole story there... It, it, it definitely helps in being that type of, a, of a, a narrative artist, right, is to be able to know that the napkin 
can tell a big part of the story. Um, it does it does it what does it feel like? You know, what does it feel like? What why does that fork feel right? You know, and I've gotten the, the, the kind of comments on on, uh, on things where people would come back and say, "Wow, I want that fork that totally made the whole picture, right?" And you're looking at this beautiful picture of like a, an oyster, and everybody's focusing on the fork. Why? Because it was the right fork. Yeah. So, well, well what tabletop other than that oyster fork has the most personality? You mean out of all my surfaces? Yeah. Not even surfaces, just, you know, even in forks, knives, napkins. There must be ones that everyone's like, that's the one, That's and you, you just will not give it away. Oh, God, is a, I have a pile of that stuff. I mean, there's, there's so much of that stuff in my studio that has so much life to it. There's this one breadboard that I have that has this deep wood grain in it, and it's kind of weathered, and it's got a brand mark on it, like... When it was made, it was branded by the artist. And it must be 100 years old. But it has so much life to it. And I've used it in so many different photo shoots. And it always looks different. It always has a different feel to it. And I think a lot of the the times, I think the surface is where it all starts. Like I'm sitting here and I'm transfixed by that wall back there. It's a concrete wall with these beautiful gray and white kind of almost paint marks on it. And this rust. And I'm thinking, if I could rip that wall down and put it in my studio, I would love to shoot on that. That's kind of what it becomes, right? It becomes a complete obsession with all of those things. Yeah, patina, patina, patina. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) So when I invite you back five years from now, (laughs) what are you going to be doing then? Well, I'm hoping that my directorial career will will flourish. Um, I'm at the beginning of that. Uh, I'm hoping that my stills are still consistently growing and and moving forward and uh i hope that we're still in contact and and good friends absolutely one thing won't change and you know what that is this is a little insider baseball but we'll leave it at that (laughs) andrew scrawny thank you so much for being on the first episode and five years in and every five years from here on out thanks michael you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org i'm your host michael harlan turkel hoping to have you back here next tuesday three cheers listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.